This is episode number 13 of the My Niche is Human podcast. Welcome back to another episode. And if this is your first, thanks so much for joining. On today's episode, we're going to be expanding on the idea of story, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we've been told, how we process story, and how we share our story. Today's interview slash super enjoyable conversation, quite frankly, is with Don Frazier. Don is a storyteller, public speaker, and a nationally acclaimed communications coach based out of San Jose, California. Don is the creator and host of the Barbershop Stories, a live show and podcast which features storytellers performing true tales in barbershops and salons around NYC. And she is the founder and CEO of Fraser's Edge, which offers programs for businesses, nonprofits, and college students the opportunity to develop their leadership potential through, you guessed it, storytelling. Past clients have included companies like Spotify, Vox Media, and Google, as well as celebrities including the rapper Common, Wish I knew that ahead of time. I would have asked her all about that. That's awesome. Dawn currently serves as a lead instructor with The Moth and was featured among some of the nation's top change makers at TED at NYC. She loves being a twin and Trinidadian and Instagrammable at Dawn Frazier. So stick around and I hope you enjoy it. A lot of this is a selfish endeavor. I've been thinking about story from a, you know, being 36 years old, where am I at in my life context? Also from a mental health perspective, the stories we tell ourselves, rumination, micro story, macro story. There's so much I want to explore. So I'm really grateful that you decided to take this time. So thank you for being here. Of course. Well, since we met, I just sensed the, you know, the connection and it really seemed like you're intentional about what you want to do. And the voices that you want to bring to your platform and who you want to serve. So I'm really happy to set aside as much time as you need to get across whatever content you need and to like really make sure that this is a great interview. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Cool. So we spoke before your interview and we both shared some ideas on how we want to dive in. I took some of those bullets and mapped it out from internal process to external because we have stories in our mind that we establish from when we're very young and as we get older, and then we process those stories. And then I want to get to the point to where we overcome those stories and share those differently. We master our power of telling those stories both to ourselves and to other people. So starting internally, something that I did recently with all this downtime was a life timeline. So I looked back on my whole life and I, ma- I made like a mind map. It was months and years and went through every Instagram post I ever did and Facebook and old journals. It's really interesting to see your life on a piece of paper. So looking at story and where someone is at in this moment, because that's the only place they can really analyze from. Have you ever done anything like looking back and, and digging into old memories? And how is that kind of gotten you to where you are today with story? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And a really cool project that you actually took some time to do that. I started a couple of years ago logging different memories and different points of times that I just kind of like were, were popping up for me. And actually I had adopted this from a fellow storyteller 
who calls this homework for life. And essentially what the process is, it's very similar to what you were talking about, but it was essentially like looking at like just every single day, every single small encounter, every single big encounter, and actually just kind of like figuring out like what these moments meant to me. And if they were significant, sometimes they were like a small change in attitude, a small change in perspective. But when I started truly sharing my stories about 10 years ago, I, I started going through this process of actually logging in things that had happened from the past, as well as being a little bit more up to date in terms of keeping a, a journal of how I was feeling about certain things as they were happening in real time. But, you know, I think it's really cool that we also do have that power now with technology. If people have been using social media, if people have been using Instagram or Facebook to look back, you know, sometimes we don't even have that choice because we pop onto Facebook and it's like 10 years ago today, you were in New Zealand or whatever that case might be, you know, or eating spaghetti or eating spaghetti, (laughs) but actually realizing that you had teeth, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on how old you are. Mm -hmm. So I think that it also helps to facilitate some of those memories where we've been, who we've become. But I definitely think that just logging those moments also helps us to tap into gratitude. So I think that it's a dual purpose than, than simply just like logging these moments. It actually helps you keep track of, of where you are in life and to be appreciative of it. So the technology gift and a curse, it can both remind you of too many memories from X, X's situations that you maybe should not keep tapping into, or it can be a, a good reminder to give you perspective to show you how far you've come, how different things are. If you could get through those bad days, which felt like they were going to last forever, and now you're in a much different place now, it helps you zoom out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember seeing a post from an ex when we were traveling from about four years ago. And if you would have asked me at that time how I was feeling about it, I knew that things were rocky, things were feeling rough, things weren't feeling great. Now, when I look back on that post, I know that that's where I was at that point in time. I know that that's no longer where I'm at, either personally, with this person, professionally. So as long as I feel like I've overcome I've looked internally and I've addressed some of my own stories. I feel it okay looking back at some of those posts. But I could imagine it being a challenge if I hadn't quite healed from that breakup or, you know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. It reminds me of what I want to get to later is wounds versus scars. So it's, it's if the wound heals over, you can look at something objectively. If it f- still feels sticky, maybe it's open. Maybe it has Yes, right. Yes. We're going to keep listening. We're going to dive into that towards the end. So sticking within kind of an internal context, you did mention gratitude journaling. So I want to talk a little more about the stories we tell ourselves either from memory or trauma or something that someone has told us that we are. What kind of advice would you give to someone who, you know, it's been those micro moments when you do something bad and it's just like, ah, yeah, I always do this wrong or I'm just not good at this. Mm. Or I, I can never do that. Like those are stories. You right. may not realize it, but we're beating ourselves down. What is your experience with that? And what's a, a good way to kind of like reprogram? Yeah, I, it's, it's really 
common for humans to do this to ourselves. We tell ourselves, oh, I can't do this, or, oh, I'm so stupid. How did I do this again to myself? And we actually don't actually acknowledge what we're good at or what our natural inclinations are. I, I have a tendency, or I used to have a tendency to just beat myself up about those moments. And what I had to start to, to realize and, and to shift was acknowledging that there are things that I'm really good at. There's things that I could do better at, and there's things that I'm probably never going to be wonderful at, right? For those things that I can improve upon that actually take some type of effort, like my relationships or like things like people that I, that I care about and staying in contact, I think that there's always a way to kind of step into a better version of ourselves by acknowledging our own shortcomings and also acknowledging our, our shortcomings. So for example, I have, I have some friends. When I, once I moved from New York City about a year and a half ago, I, I was really worried about staying in touch with, with my large network of friends because so many of them I met in person. And moving just meant that I wasn't going to be able to see them in person as much as, as I did before. And I was really worried about you know communication and being able to keep these people as part of my inner circle because I'm not good at constantly being on social media or constantly writing or constantly texting people. And so, but I did realize that if this is a relationship that I cared about, this is, if these are people that I still want to be able to build with, that I, I could work on that skill of remaining in touch and knowing how these people wanted to, to be in touch. It's kind of, leaning into this idea of the five love languages. Do you know about this? I do. Please expand. Thank you, my girlfriend, for introducing me to this. Please expand. Yeah. So I'm going to, it's a little bit of a diversion, but I'm going to bring it back to to the point in just a second. So the five love languages are, are different ways that people both expect to receive love and the way that you give love. So there's five different languages that, that um, I'm forgetting the author's name right now, but they break down the ways that people typically want to receive love. And the way that people typically want to receive love are either through words of affection, through, you know, like saying, I love you, you're the best, you're amazing, like, you know, really positive words. Some people need to receive love through gifts. So actually physically, you know, Give me a ring. Give me a give me a car. A material thing. Give me a material thing. thing physical mm-hmm. thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Some people are connected to acts of uh, service. So if you're really like handy and you always are taking care of like stuff that's around the house or really taking care of anything that I need to get done. The fourth one is time, quality time. So being able to just really sit with somebody, going on those walks, spending those special moments with each other. So proximity, right? Being around. Exactly. Exactly. Like proximity, not even necessarily having to say much, really. Mm-hmm. But Reading just, a book on each end of the couch, but you're still together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the fifth one. Did you say words of affirmation? Words of affirmation. Yes. Oh, physical touch. Thank you. Physical touch. Okay. Right. Physical touch, which includes sex. You know, <laughs> some people like it's 
you know, if you want to show me that you love me, you need to touch me, you need to hug me, you need to give me all the goods you got in your trunk. So what I realized and how this relates to your question is when I was like leaving from New York, I realized that the way that I typically expressed my love for my friends was through quality time. It was actually like going to storytelling shows with them, hanging out or just coming to their place, cooking a meal, you know. And, and I started asking them though, like how do we still maintain this, this friendship? And it was to quality time, but also a lot of it I realized for some of my friends were those words, those words of affirmations that I could actually still deliver through social media or through a quick, you know, a quick chat on text or whatever that might be. So I realized that one of the things that we tend to do as humans is feel like, okay, like I'm not good at doing something or I'm not really all that. My love language is, is say physical touch, which it isn't necessarily. And so I expect people to like always address me in terms of like my needs. But I also realize that as we grow as people, we can look and see how we can shift and what we can lean into that, that makes us better people, makes us wholer people and understands what other people in our community need, what we need. So it's not a way of saying I'm bad at this. It's a way of saying, okay, I'm going to work on this. If it's something that I can work on and if it's something that I want to work on in order to improve my relationships or my connections with other people. Mm -hmm. I love that. So what it feels like is, Owning, honoring, acknowledging, being still in your faults. But does that sound right? Yes. So being still with in that, uh, a question I love to ask all the time in many different contexts, this is a new one. So how would you tell someone, tell yourself, what if they don't even realize they're doing it? Mm. What if they're saying these stories to themselves and feelings are real, our perspective is real to us, right? The illusion it's all real mm-hmm. to us. What if they don't even realize they're doing it? How can someone kind of break that habit? If they don't realize that they're telling themselves a I'm so bad story at this. Or... I'm terrible. This is just who I am. If, if they keep kind of reliving those negative stories, how can you unpack that? I almost kind of question if people are, are denying that they're denying that story. I think a lot of times people do know that they're sharing that story or even if it's not verbal. I think that sometimes if we're really saying negative things about ourselves, we feel it in our mind, we feel it in our bodies, where we hold tension. Because I think that, that honestly, the first thing to, to do is to be able to acknowledge it. We can't really move into another realm until we understand that, you know what, this has been a problem for me. Therefore, I need to seek outside assistance or therefore I need to seek meditation or therefore I need to just figure out what is going to work for me mm-hmm. in order to get past it. But if we're not able to honestly and authentically say that this is something that I want to work on or that this is a problem or even acknowledge that, that we do it, mm-hmm. then we're just going to continue going down that same rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And that's, and we know it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Oprah when she 
talks about like the whisper, you know, when something doesn't quite feel right for you, you okay. hear like, this little whisper, like, it's like something, someone's saying to you like, hey, hey, Steven, this doesn't really quite feel right, right? Did you say that's gut, maybe? Is that your gut? It's your gut. But then little by little, you, you keep on doing the same crap, you know, say it's a job or say it's a person that you're connected with in a bad relationship. Little by little, your gut's getting a little bit louder. It's like, hey, Steven, I, I, don't really, I really don't like this. Mm-hmm. I really am not feeling comfortable about mm-hmm. this. Until it gets to the point where you're like, Steven, mm-hmm. wake the F up. And you're like mm-hmm. beating your head against a wall because you've been ignoring the whisper for years upon years upon years and you just hit a wall. And the goal is like not to hit the wall, to start listening to the whispers. Because that's the first sign that that we might need the course correct. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those wake up calls are illness, car accident, lose your job. Like sometimes it can be a real shake, a physical shake if you don't listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, you know, with this particular year, there's been a lot of shakeups. A lot of people feeling it in their bodies, feeling in their minds, feeling in their relationships. It's like it's all around them. It's mm-hmm. in the media. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it's important to also acknowledge what is on the outside, what can we control and what can't we control. Mm. Right? I love that. So we were at internal and, and we could keep going through that, but you mentioned media and while I trust that we will stay objective, I'd really like to dive into that area because there's so much going on in the media and it shows up in many different ways documentaries can be loaded, commercials can be loaded. There's a lot going on. From a storytelling perspective, what are some tools that can prepare our listener to be more critical and to not necessarily be tricked or be completely influenced by everything that they're seeing, all these stories that they're being told? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really great question. And honestly, something that I'm still trying to figure out myself because as it relates to like media and stories, we connect with other humans because of the stories that, that we share. And so for years, and still even currently, I'm a big advocate of sharing, sharing your stories, sharing them as a way to communicate your values. Media often does this from different perspectives about, as you said, documentaries or sharing a value about somebody's journey, why they went on this journey, what it's about. I think what's been happening lately that I'm still trying to process and figure out for myself is when those stories are coming from a place that is either like leading, that is leading the listener into a space where they think that destruction or when they think that ways to tear us apart are like the main premise or the main reasoning behind the stories. And so one of the things that, that I, I often talk about is like, how much emphasis are you putting on any part of the story that you're sharing? And when it comes to the media, you're not really, you're not always, you're not really knowing what parts of the story have been taken out 
and what part of the stories are being put in because you're not having a dialogue with the media. The media is basically just talking to you. So it's not like a conversation where you can kind of like dig deeper into these thoughts. So one of the things I'm trying to figure out is, is when stories are being shared, and I believe that stories should always be shared and they always are being shared, but when their intent is uh, to manipulate or when their intent is to not be authentic in terms of the why behind it, and for there not to be another outlet to question the story or to question the why, then it becomes really tricky because then it's just, it's just, it's just stories that are being fed to you, stories, stories are being fed until you feel like you are that story. Sometimes people, and I've, I've seen this where something that was shared from, from the outside, so say like you, you went to the store, had this hilarious moment with your girlfriend and you told the story so well that I feel like I was there. This has happened before where somebody is able to tell a story so well. Mostly this happens with, within families where it's like, oh yeah, I was there with you that day. And the person can say, like, no, actually y- you weren't. But that's the power of telling a story so well from an external perspective like where you, people could almost imagine as if they were there. Mm-hmm. So it, it becomes a little tricky. It becomes very, very tricky when the stories that we're being fed are only coming from one dimensional and they're not being in the case of media not being fact checked because unfortunately that's the era that we're in where we almost have to fact check the stories because the stories are sometimes being twisted or manipulated in a way that isn't true to the human spirit of sharing for that connectedness of that human connectedness Mm -hmm. you know so it's a, it's a tricky one. So maybe being aware that your brain wants to believe it's true. Your brain almost favors the fact that what you're being told is true because it wants to be a part of that experience. You know, like you said, maybe days later, I'm like, yeah, Don, I was with you. Like, I want to believe that I was there because it was so great. Maybe if we're aware that your brain defaults to that in the most positive way possible, maybe we should question everything, even something that a family member tells us because we know our brain functions the way it does, regardless of whether your story is loaded with an agenda or you just want me to believe it so bad because you're in the moment and you enjoy it. So maybe there's a fine line between sharing a story or a memory innocently, but doing it so well that you believe me. Maybe I was wrong because maybe I remembered it differently. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any way around that aside from the fact that we should just question everything because we weren't there we want to believe it we want to think it was so great we want to think it happened right there's anything to that well i think that i I don't want to say we need to question everything because of course like sometimes you just want to be able to hear somebody's story like lean back enjoy it feel like you know oh my god i just really feel like i have gone on a journey with this person but i do feel like if you are unsure about the source, or if you're not really sure about if this can continue to be a dialogue. And if it's a dialogue, I think, and somebody that you trust, I think that it's great to be able to not have to question that person's intention. 
if it's not a dialogue in terms of something that's coming to you, just like a one, one directional kind of thing, mm. then I think that it's more important to start to question those stories and to get a little bit more perspective, a little bit more angles. Yeah. So I think it depends on what kind of story, we, if it's a one directional or if it's a two directional kind yes. of conversation. One way versus two way. Yes. That's, that's brilliant. I love that. So I want to bring up one of your stories that I just learned of. Oh, uh, please tell us about Turbo Toothpick <laughs> and the challenge that came after that, after your challenge, to use the same word twice. And then how did you unpack that? How did you go from down at the bottom, starting over and relearning a story that was to become your life? Because you, you really committed to one story. That story was over. Yeah. Uh, please share that as much of that process as you can. Okay, great. Great setup. So as a child, I always had this dream of, of becoming an, an Olympian. That was a story I was sharing my, with myself. It was the story that was being reflected in the media because I'm coming from an area of San Jose where it is more, it's more central coast California, which is very agricultural, very rural. And it's not the major cities where, where there, you just see a lot of like talented people. And so here I am in this kind of like this suburban rural part of California and getting fun, crazy nicknames. One of them being Turbo Toothpick because I was so skinny and so fast. Another one being Black Lightning. Uh, because I'm black and because I'm fast. <laughs> and then a whole slew of other nicknames. Brown Sugar, Pretty Face, which is my parents' favorite acronym. I mean, not acronym, just way of just saying, you know, we love you. So my whole narrative up until about I was 20 years old, was focused on the Olympics. Went to UCLA, ended up running for their track and field team, but only for that first year when I was a freshman because I tore, gosh, a quad, a hamstring, like in the course of a couple of years and had this moment where my twin brother, who has Down syndrome, was coming to compete at UCLA at a time when I was down and out and wasn't starting to feel like my dream of becoming an Olympian was quickly, quickly fading. And as a result of my brother coming to UCLA and as a result of him participating in the Special Olympics and as a result of him actually not going on, nor me going on, I did realize that yes, this was going to be the end of this narrative. I was no longer going to be a runner. I was no longer going to be in the news. I was no for running. And I didn't really feel like I had my identity. My, I felt like my story was I was a runner. My story was my identity. And that was the only story that I was sharing about who I was and who I was becoming. And When I lost the ability 
to really visualize myself anymore as an Olympian. I feel like I lost my path. But you know what? I was still living. I was still alive. I was still trying to, to figure stuff out with a very like muddled head. You know, I didn't want to see myself at UCLA. And so it became one of those things where the story that I was telling myself was just go back, just retreat, just, you know, just, just don't die, but just go, just do nothing. And that was not the right story to be sharing with myself. Little by little, I started seeing that there were lessons that I had not been paying attention to, specifically as related to my brother. As I mentioned, he, he has Down syndrome and he's very gentle with like babies, with children. He's very loving, very supportive, very just wanting to be a participant, a participant in the world. He wanted to be active and seen in the world. And when I started paying attention to that, just a little bit more, I started thinking about what are these stories that I was telling myself? What the hell am I doing? I'm not just a runner. I'm also a twin. I'm also somebody's daughter. I'm also an immigrant uh, or a children, a child of immigrants, I should say. There were so many more pieces of me that I was not expressing and seeing that through my brother's lens, my brother's eyes helped me to step into another version of myself. And, and then that's when I started like really leaning into one of my favorite mantras now, which is, you know, that change, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. So things were changing all the time. And I couldn't necessarily prevent the fact that I was, I was no longer going to be a runner. But at the same time, for a moment there, I stopped growing. I stopped feeling like I could grow. And little by little, I started seeing that, oh, wait, I can grow. This isn't the death of me. This might be the death of my running career. But it was the growth of actually starting to become a storyteller. And it was the growth of actually stepping into becoming a coach for others and seeing how I could help improve their lives. And that was a journey that I started stepping into little by little by little once I started to understand that I was not one story. I was not one-dimensional. And none of us are one-dimensional. We're cons- we consist of millions and millions of stories and moments and experiences And I think it's up to us to really lean into the ones that are serving us now, lean into the ones that feel like this feels right. You know, that whisper, when that whisper is in your soul, and it's Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I really like this. I really feel good when I do blank, or I really feel like I'm in service when I do blank. It just starts to shift the stories that you lean into and the stories that you share about yourself to others. So when it comes to focus, commitment, and drive, I've, yeah, I'll speak for myself. For a long time, it was one trick pony thinking that was the most efficient, effective way to be. I am an entrepreneur. I'm going to disrupt the industry. But it was one story. And when that didn't work out, similar to your, you said you had the injury, you drew a blank. 
it was the same. When you put all your eggs into one story, the story is over. You don't know where to go. You got to start over. Right, right. And that's the challenge of only having one story. Mm. You know, we are not one story, nor, is, nor should we assume that when we talk to other people, that one story should be what we consist of in their minds either. Mm-hmm. You know. So not being one story, I want to go to micro moments, mm-hmm. simple moments, sharing from simple moments. So let's stay on track with multiple stories. We are not one story. What are your thoughts? What were your intentions with sharing from simple moments? Because that's the micro level versus macro level i am a person micro i am these tiny little moments yes yes so yeah so going back to your first question like a little while ago when we were talking about like logging and gratitude uh, gratitude i'm gratituding gratitude right now bro you know what i'm saying (laughs) but using gratitude and logging logging our thoughts and our memories one of the things that I started realizing is that by doing that, by seeing like these micro moments, that these are actually the things that kind of connect us on a universal as humans, right? So for example, when I came back here to, to California, I started seeing a slight shift in my relationship with my twin brother. As I mentioned before, he, he has Down syndrome. And so he, he needs help with, with things every now and then. One of them, which is a very consistent pattern since I've come home, is trimming his beard. The dude's beard grows out like a weed. Like I, we shave it on Sunday and it's like a full blown bush again by like Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Right? So every Sunday, Dwayne comes to me and he asks to shave his beard. And, and at first I was just like, okay, cool. It's a Sunday. Dwayne's going to come and ask for me to help him shave his beard. And I started remembering that when we were kids, I had this tendency of, of wiggling his ear. <laughs> it's, it's very silly. But uh, we would sit on the steps of our house. And my parents think that I was doing this ever since we were in the womb. But I would literally like, take his ear and just kind of like flick it back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Nope. No particular reason. By this thing that I, I got used to having this physical body, my womb mate, and having something physical to to do with his body, his ears particularly. And so when I came back home and I started realizing that, of course, I was no longer wiggling his ears because I haven't been doing that since I've been away from California for the past 16 years. But every Sunday, instead now, I was shaving his beard. And it made me realize something that was unique and special about our relationship. That although I wasn't doing one certain thing, that our bond and our connection has grown into adulthood in a very special way that is almost like our own love language, right? Like, I know he's going to come to me on Sunday. I know that I'm going to help him out to cut his beard. It's a sliver of a moment. That happens every single week. It's a micro moment. But I feel like just telling that little mini story, so many people can connect with this idea of like, oh yeah, I have like these very small minuscule moments that mean something so important to me. 
and my girlfriend or it means something so important to me and my family. So it's one of those things where I always, I started leaning into this by asking people, tell me about a tradition or something that you do with your family or with your loved ones that maybe nobody else really knows about. It might be totally minuscule, but for whatever reason, it's important to you. Mm-hmm. And from asking that prompt, we start to see these little small micro stories. And surprisingly, these little micro stories connect much more with other people because they can see themselves also like in in those moments. They see the, the types of relationships, you know, everyday moments, as opposed to if I were to share with you like, oh, Stephen, I'm going to share with you the story about the time that I was an astronaut and I went to the moon. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to really connect as much to this story because chances are you haven't traveled to the moon. It's not relatable. It's not relatable. Right. But these small micro moments, Mm -hmm. people connect to them and people connect to those kind of stories because of that. Love that makes me think of two things. Uh, One, I love how you said it's kind of our own love language because you have five love languages. You're not two and you're not two of them and not the other three. You're a combination of them. And just like, language amongst humans. There's language and dialects and infinite possibilities, really. So I I love how you said it's our own love language. Just to put some, I don't know. I just like that you said that. And then the second thing, you saying people's responses to your micro stories. What else is neat about that to connect to our conversation about media? I think what people intrinsically know about micro stories is they're so micro they're so much less likely to have an agenda attached to them, right? They're not loaded. It's just the true essence of existence and an experience shared between maybe two people. What could you possibly expect to gain by sharing? I I play with my brother's earlobes. There's no, it's just magic. It's just pure, innocent magic. And I think that's why we're drawn to those as well. So I want to get a little nerdy. You talked about your brain on story. oxytocin and let's get into that oxytocin is a it's not a is it a hormone something to do with social bonding and reproduction just to kind of set that up but i'll I'll let you go from here yeah oxytocin it is it's a hormone and it is released when we feel good when we are hugging somebody some people refer to it as the cuddle hormone because like when you're like cuddling with somebody it's also released when we're having intimate sex. And there is, it's the same exact hormone and chemicals that are released in our brain when somebody is sharing a really good story. Mm. Even when those stories, you feel like, like the example I gave earlier, when you feel like you were there in, in the moment with your brother, uncle, whatever, on this trip, and you actually weren't. Mm-hmm. It's the same drug that kind of almost manipulates the mind to make you think Mm. like you were there with them. And essentially what happens is the more that hormone is released, the more that we're able to empathize with one another. And that's why they say a really well-told story is like your brain being on drugs because Mm. you automatically are connected to this person, you automatically just feel 
an affinity, a warmth towards this, this person because it's your brain. It's, it's literally your brain is doing this to you because you're feeling this oxytocin being released in your body. You're feeling those warm fuzzies. Or you're feeling like, oh my God, I love this person. Mm-hmm. I want to connect with this person. I'm inspired mm-hmm. by this person. And, and so as that's happening, people, especially people who are like into marketing for positive marketing, have realized that they could actually utilize this, this storytelling thing for good causes. So, for example, like UNICEF in the 80s, when they were sharing campaigns, like UNICEF, like the, the different like what is that? UN, uh, feed, feed the Children campaigns. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But UN initiatives that are that kind of focused. Okay. Instead of talking about, Stephen, if you give us 25 cents a day for the next month, you can help feed five children in rural Kansas. What they started realizing is that we, we need to shift that so that it's more focused on the person, on the story. So instead, they were saying, this is Diana. Diana is five years old. Diana walks about a mile every single day to get water to bring back home so that she can feed her her siblings and take a shower. But did you know, Stephen, that Diana is only one of a thousand children whose lives could be changed if you provide 25 cents a day, which is not even the equivalent of your coffee and cup of coffee in the morning. And we started seeing how humanizing these stories releases the oxytocin in, in our systems. And that provides the opportunity for more people to want to give, mm-hmm. more people to connect to the stories of these people who are trying to market for good. Mm-hmm. And so little by little, we started seeing how oxytocin connects to all different types of stories for all different reasons. But at its core, mm-hmm. we are hardwired for great stories. We are hardwired to connect because that's just what happens in our brains. We, we just love when a good story is shared. <laughs> so do you think our, our brain is, we kind of touched on this earlier, but with everything you're saying, if the story is so great, are we less apt to question it? We're more apt to believe it, whether it's, it's loaded or not? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that if, it, if it's a really great story, loaded or not, we connect with it. It's just what happens to our bodies. So now I, I want to try to come up with a hack. And if you've ever thought of this, what if we were to create a story, but for ourselves, could we trick ourselves into seeing a story about ourselves? Maybe have like lay out of a, a vision. And if we were 100%. to write a story of ourselves and watch ourselves, would we naturally gravitate to our own story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you, have you read The Secret or do you know about The Secret? Mm-hmm. Law of Attraction. Yeah, The Law of Attraction. Mm-hmm. If we start sharing images about ourselves, about where we're going mm-hmm. or who we are becoming, mm-hmm. and we start putting that down, sometimes on paper or sometimes in a visual manner, mm-hmm. or sometimes just even 
talking it out, we are literally changing little tiny pieces of our internal selves mm-hmm. as we are changing to to become mm-hmm. that person. Mm-hmm. And so we start to share our, with ourselves, okay, like, I know I'm not here today. I know I'm not a millionaire. I know I ain't got no fancy house, mm-hmm. no kids, but that's what my dream is, my intent. I don't know what it's going like, to look like, but remember, this goes back to our initial point. We first have to acknowledge that it's not where we're at today. It's not where we're at today, but it's where we're going to. And so by sharing these stories of who we want to become, who we want to be, little by little, our mind sets us up intentionally to mm-hmm. become that person. Not by just like sitting back, not just by putting the stuff down on paper, like mm-hmm. looking at a, a picture of, of a house and kids and money or whatever else that dream life might be, vacation, mm-hmm. but actually like seeing that and knowing day by day, seeing the, the reminder that I'm stepping into that mm-hmm. version of myself every mm-hmm. single day, a little by little, because once again, our growth is still happening. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it being laid, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. What I love about it being laid out this way is I think law of attraction, the secret, break the habit of being yourself, Dr. Joe Dispenza, it's becoming more mainstream, but what's neat about coming at it from the angle of oxytocin, it kind of says, this is becoming science. It is no longer magic. It's less woo-woo. It's more measurable. It's a real thing. It's something Absolutely. your brain is actually hardwired to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, but because once again, it's only one part of the, one part of the story and one part of the narrative, we also have to still address other stories that we might be sharing or other things that we might be doing. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen people who have a big dream, but then almost sabotage their own intentions? Right. You see people like literally sabotaging their own their own efforts. And, and why do you think that is? I think we do that because sometimes we're scared of our own power. Mm. We're scared of our own potential. It's almost like we're sometimes more scared to step out into who we're becoming than we are okay with staying with who we already are. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it continues to go into like what we need to do in order to step into that person that we are becoming mm-hmm. to feel, to know that it's going to be rocky and bumpy, but that rocky and bumpiness is not a sign of, it's, it's not a sign that you're not doing it right. It's a sign that you're, you're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. when, when things don't feel right, people feel like, okay, this is a sign that I need to quit. This is a sign that I need to stop. Sometimes it's not a sign that we actually just need to see this as the next step or the next hurdle that I need to get to, to my growth and to, my, to the next best version of who I am becoming. So maybe we need to learn to build in some breaks into our vision, into our story. If we write a if we write this story that we hope to plan out or that we tell ourselves, I'm going to be a, an Olympic gold medal 
winner, you know, I'm going to be an Olympian. That is the story. There was no part maybe built into that story that maybe we're going to go around the other way. So maybe it won't be a gold medal, but it'll be a degree from an Ivy League college. And I'll be, it's, the end goal is greatness, mm-hmm. but it's what kind of greatness. And we need to build in some flexibility into these stories so that, like you said, when you hit a rough patch, we don't think, it's over. I'm doing this wrong. We are already mentally prepared for the fact that that's a part of the story. You're Absolutely. still making progress. You're not falling backwards. Absolutely. I'm kind of going back into the Olympic example. The initial vision for myself may have been like a, a vision board that had the Olympics and the rings on it only for me to real later realize that actually this vision was about me coaching others to go to the Olympics. And it's not even the Olympics that we're gonna see in Tokyo, but it's a special Olympics that I'm gonna see in my neighborhood or in my local community. The thing is, I think that we have to put our intentions out there and not be upset when they manifest in different ways. It's kind of like the, I have some friends, for example, now that we're in our 30s, 40s, most of my friends are like in that general frame. And a lot of my friends have questioned about this idea of children. A lot of my friends, self-included, have always thought about, okay, traditional family, two kids, white picket fence, you know. But little by little, it's, okay, actually, I didn't realize that those two kids might not be my own biological children. It was actually a vision of creating a family with somebody who had lost his, his previous partner, but had these two beautiful children that still deserve love, that still deserve a home. I didn't realize that at the time, but I'm not going to deny that person my love or my attention because it's not the vision that I set up for myself when I was 18 years old. If family is something that, that is important to me and that vision of family, it might not look exactly as, as I mapped it out in my mind, but it is going to look in a way that feels like it's actually built into that way that I can't control, but that I've always wanted. I love that. That's, that's excellent. Hmm. I, there's a lot to that. That's great. And keep in mind, like this is all stuff I'm still learning myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've been telling stories for the past 10 years, but I'm just now understanding how the stories that I had already been sharing in the past, how some of the the lens and the ideas that I had about these moments have shifted. I'm no longer the same person. I've no longer have to believe that the stories that I'm sharing, there's a difference between sharing a story that's truthful versus a story that's factual. Uh, Ooh. (laughs) Please explain what do you mean by that? That's good. So, there are like the, the facts of something are the things that have happened that are concrete, the actual facts. Like the fact is I was 
living here, I was doing this, and this happened. Those are the facts. But the, the truth behind it and like the, the intention behind it in terms of how I see that now is it's different. Like, so the facts haven't changed, but the way that I think about it has changed. You know, at the moment, it was the worst thing that could have happened. Now I see it as like a blessing that kind of led me into a different space. The facts have not changed, but my growth and my way that I'm thinking about it has, and I've allowed myself to lean into that option. That's the best. So that makes me think of looking back on a lifetime line or old memories. You can look at the facts this is how our family was. This is who we were. This is where we lived. You can almost reprogram your perspective of that. You could say I had a rough childhood, or you could say my parents were doing the best they could. They could. It could have been worse, and it taught us a lot of things, and it made me who I am today. So it's, it, would you say it's a little bit of reprogramming? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And just going back for a quick second to like the Oprah example. Did I bring up Oprah earlier? Mm-hmm. The whisper. Oh yeah, the whisper. That's right. Mm-hmm. The the Oprah example. I often just think about her story that she's shared from the past, and I think about her story specifically because it's one. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of trauma in in her past. Growing up extremely poor in the South, being molested, having a, a baby, and then not having that baby actually ever, you know, live. Just like a lot of hard realities that she had to live through. And she could have used that story because those are the facts. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. the facts. Mm-hmm. And those facts could have been that her story that she was going to tell the rest of the world forever and ever. Amen. Was like, because of this, I, I'm not going to be able to thrive ever. I'm not going to be able to, get the kind of job or the kind of love or the type of relationship that I want. And the more that is part of as, as, as much as those facts are very critical and harmful, she instead utilized it as leverage to say, I'm going to use this and, and share my, my stories and my experience because I don't ever want anyone to, to live through this again. I want to make it able to like to uplift people and to, to see their power and their potential. Because when you've been in the darkest of the abysses, that's when you can see that there's a whole other set of light on the other side of this. And so instead of staying in that place where the facts of her story kept her down, she used the facts of her story to continually lift herself up, lift other people up until you know she became like the, the mogul that we see today. Mm. And so I just think that, okay. And so I just think that, that being able to distinguish between the facts and what is actually who it is that you're becoming mm. is, is important. It makes me think of the saying, speak your truth, not the truth, your truth. And that's entirely up to you. Right, right. Yeah. And the way that you interpret your, your facts and how you interpret your truth are completely up to you. So then touching on sharing stories with yourself, sharing stories with family, we talked about micro moments, we talked about media. I've always 
kind of wondered, how do we maintain our insert buzzword, vulnerability, authenticity, Mm. all those things that are now revered on social media? It's made social a little more real, but how do you share a bad day? How do you be ultra vulnerable, ultra authentic without making your followings feed sticky, without Mm -hmm. sharing some of that trauma, without sharing some of that negativity? and I learned a statement from you. I've used it many times since for myself and shared it with other people. But how would you determine the difference between when you should share and when you should maybe wait? Right, right. It's so good. And once again, this kind of goes back into our gut and our feelings. And one of the barometers uh, that I often use, and what I'm, I think you're referring to is this mantra of we're telling stories from our scars and not from our wounds. So if you're on social media or if you're thinking about publicly sharing a, a story, the goal is to share a story from a scar. And a scar is something where you can, it's physically, sometimes physically still there, sometimes mentally still there. But it's obvious that it's healed. It's scabbed up. It's something that we've processed. And it's something that we can actually talk about without still feeling the wound, the, the immediate trauma. It's because a scar looks ugly. If you have a scar on your arm, for example, maybe at one time it was all bloody and it's all like dry and you can feel like the dry blood all on your skin. That's a scar, right? Before it became a scar, though, it was a wound. And when it was a wound, it was open, it was fleshy, it was probably still bloody, and it probably hurt a lot more because it hadn't yet healed. And so when we think about sharing these stories, we have to think about, is this a wound? Is it still fleshy? Is it still raw? If I get up and I tell it, am I going to break down? Am I going to, am I going to cry Am I going to leave myself and my audience in a place of feeling like they need to come and, and help me? Or, or is it a scar that's been healed where I can almost say, this is what I learned from this mistake or from this moment. It's, all, it's still a scar. It's still on me. It's still part of my history. It's part of my facts from the past. And this is what, what I, I learned from it. And this is why I think it's important to share this story. So I think it's always important to think about if it's a wound, the space for it is more like therapy or with a loved one. You know, if it's something really traumatic, like a recent divorce or a recent death, I'll give yourself some time to heal before you share those stories. Like let that become a scar first so that you can talk about it and talk about it where you're not going to have your audience feeling like they're also being scarred and you're not re-scarring yourself or re-wounding yourself Mm -hmm. is what I should say. Mm -hmm. Instead, we want to like have it be some, a a story where it, it was hard and it still might be hard, but you have come to a different place and you no longer are breaking down. You're not necessarily feeling like this is, something that I can't talk about 
mm-hmm. without leaving my listener at a better place themselves. So I feel like we all have a responsibility to say, by sharing the story, am I aiming to help myself or am I aiming to help everyone who's going to hear this? Exactly. And then how do I feel about it just in general in my own, in my own body? Mm-hmm. You know, when I start to talk about it, am I in a place of compression or am I in a place of expansion? Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, Jess, my girl, uh, we talk about this a lot when we're going through a chapter and we all have, we have challenges at each chapter. Do you feel like there's something to be said about like a sweet spot? Cause I feel like, remember when you were 25 years old, there's probably maybe a crazy relationship, something or other happening. You were really in the thick of it and you probably went through the process, whether you were aware of it or not wound to scar. Mm-hmm. Now it's many years later, your priorities have changed. Your perspective is so much wider that that big all encompassing moment chapter is now just a blip. Mm-hmm. Is there kind of a sweet spot to capture that magic before it goes too far down your timeline? So capturing it in what way? Sharing, sharing with absolute passion from a place of a scar. So I imagine I could tell you more about what I learned from my relationship in my twenties, maybe a year after versus what I could tell you now, because now I would probably just give you the short version. Mm-hmm. So for someone who wants to be a storyteller, who wants to like Oprah share stories to help the world, it, is there a sweet spot or? Yeah, no, I think that there is because the 25 year old you, if your 25 year old self had been true with yourself, kind of like logging your moments or your experiences, you know, if you reflect back on that, you probably feel different today than you felt then. But if you take yourself back to your 25-year-old self and, and stay there, that's where the problem mm-hmm. might, might, might be. Okay? Mm-hmm. But to acknowledge that you aren't any longer there, but to be able to share what it was like when you were 25 versus what it's like now mm-hmm. and what you learned from that 25-year-old self that you didn't realize at the time. I think it's all a matter of continually growing into like better iterations of yourself while still being true and authentic to how you really were as that 25-year-old. You don't have, like, like I said, you can't change if you messed up. You can't change if you were not that great of a person or whatever that 25-year-old self version of yourself was, mm-hmm. right? But I think that the nice sweet spot is to be able to say, yes, this was me. And yes, this is me today. Mm -hmm. It's not either or. It's a yes and. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, let's talk about improv. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So I I think that the the sweet spot is a a matter of acknowledging both, Mm -hmm. depending relative to time, space persona. Do you feel like the more you've studied storytelling, the better storyteller you've become 
do you find that your mental health, your state of being, your memories, your perspective of memories has gotten better? Are, are you telling yourself better stories in your mind as you experience different things? I think so. Interestingly enough, last, let's see. No, I guess that was a couple of months ago. June was Father's Day. June was the first time that I had been invited onto a stage to share a story for Father's Day that actually came up with a story. And it's not because my father was out of my life. My father was very, very much a part of my life. I lost him when I was 20 years old and I was just kind of fully developing into an adult. And I didn't start telling stories until about 30, 30? 30 something. Yeah, about 30. So there was about 10 years of things that were happening that did not necessarily include my dad. But as I started becoming more and more of a storyteller and tapping into more and more memories, it allowed me to go back even further. And so when I was asked to share a story for Father's Day, it took me a moment because I was like, oh, wow, I don't have a, a direct story that I've shared in the past like 10 years about my dad. Like he's always referenced, but not like specifically about him. Mm-hmm. And so I went up to his, uh, his grave, which is here in, in San Jose and sat down with it, sat down with a, a pen and paper and it's kind of like sat there, like talking to him about thoughts and memories and things that were like kind of coming up that were like specific to our connection, our relationship. And I started realizing, and I had never made this connection before, I started realizing that so much of what I love to do as a communications coach came from my dad being a coach. My dad loved, loved coaching my soccer team or like the entire community soccer team. He was my track and field coach when the other coaches, you know, like the coaches at, at high school would do it up until sixth period and after school and on the weekends, he would take me up to the hills and we would continue to like to train and really execute. And, and I was becoming stronger because he spent so much time focusing on not only being my father, but also being like my coach. And when I started thinking about my life now as a communications coach, I had never put those two pieces together. That so much of what I love about coaching comes from my dad and what that position and that role that my dad did for me, being able to see my talent, being able to see what I needed to do step-by-step to make me stronger and better and um, a better athlete than what I do now by looking at people's stories and seeing how they can fine to them and how they can like make them better versions of themselves if they articulate themselves. So anyways, all that to say that I think that because I have started tuning into the power of my own stories and reflecting on my own stories, it's made me better able to connect those dots a little bit more succinctly, even from those moments when I hadn't been keeping a journal or those moments when I hadn't necessarily thought about the power of my own story. I was just living life. But I think that by continually sharing my stories and understanding what kind of goes 
into them and, and the emotion behind them has made me better able to tap into who I am, who I'm becoming, and those forces of my past that have shaped my own journey. Wow. So you get to really take stock of all of your experiences. So if, if someone's sitting in their chair right now, maybe a nihilistic view of their life in the world, what's the point? Why am I here? I'm a nothing. I've done nothing. If they can, it sounds like story, the architecture of story, storytelling is an excellent tool to go within and deconstruct your own story to find more magic to find things that you have done. Cause it's easy to kind of forget. We're just surviving. Yeah. We're going through moment to moment. Yeah. It sounds like an excellent tool to reverse engineer what has gotten you to this very moment. 100%. Oh. Well, we're not here by accident and we're here because of a set of, of moments, experiences, and the ways that we've responded to those moments and experiences. I not that, that respond and not react. Yeah, yeah. that's how we've responded yeah. to them. And once again, how we've responded to is, is not, there's no definite meaning behind anything that we've done. That meaning, it could have, one, the, the meaning could have felt negative at that point in time. Now we see that as a positive thing. Mm, please say that one more time. There's no definite meaning behind to, anything that we've done. No, no definite meaning. No, no. It's our, our interpretation. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's our wow. interpretation of it. So back to your comment about truth, there's no definite meaning because it's all in how we look at it. It's all in how we define that truth as either negative, positive, constructive, waste of time. There's exactly. no definite meaning in anything that we do. Yeah. That's amazing. If you take like a quick like football analogy, and I don't know if like your audience like watches football or anything like that, but any type of sport. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Any type of sports. Let's use basketball. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Say you're a Warriors fan and say I'm a Lakers fan, right? I know they're two California teams, but whatever. We're just going with the hypothetical Boston's example. Boston's going to win either way, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use Boston. Boston okay. and the Warriors. Okay, the okay. Celtics and the Warriors. So we go to a game and all of a sudden, like last minute, Warriors crush it with the slam dunk at the very last 0.1 second of the game, right? To me, this slam dunk at the end of the game was the best thing that could have happened in this entire, in this entire game. It was epic. It was the best thing that could have happened. To you, that last slam dunk, there was no foul call. That was some BS. That was like wrong. I can't mm, believe that they- Vegas. right the fact does not change the fact that there was a slam dunk in that last one second does not is a fact right our interpretation of it can change depending on who what lens we're like putting on it any moment what what the way that we're seeing any experience so it's one of those things where like we can you know depending on our perspectives and other things, of course, that have come prior to this moment are going to shift the way that we see this. But that moment is not a bad moment. Inherently, mm-hmm. that moment is not a bad moment. Mm-hmm. Inherently, that moment is not a good moment. There's no mm-hmm. meaning to this moment. It's, mm-hmm. But my interpretation of it might be like, it was the best thing or it was the worst thing 
It's um, very stoic. There's no good or bad. There's just what is. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and it the makes world me think there are few facts, but infinite truths. I'm trying mm. to put your stuff together. Yes. True facts, infinite truths. Yes. Mm. Yes. So good. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. I want to start to close out. Can we list for our listener any kind of resources that have impacted you maybe when you're 18 and any point of your journey that has helped to mold you into your current perspective? I know you've worked with The Moth, if you want to share that, or your experience with TED. How can someone get ready for something like that, a TEDx? Anything that comes to mind? Just yes. share. Thank you. Yeah. So some excellent resources that I think that everybody should listen to and check out are more stories, just more stories in general. And since this is a podcast, I'm assuming that people are into podcasts. So uh, some podcasts to check out include The Moth, which is one of the organizations I currently serve as a lead instructor for. In other words, I go out and I train people to tell their stories for The Moth. But The Moth is essentially a, a storytelling podcast. People get on stages around the world and they share true stories live with no notes. They could be amazing stories, riveting stories. They could be sad stories. They could be a story about somebody going to the moon or it could be somebody about the time that the dog just became their their child, like Mm -hmm. whatever that story might be. Mm -hmm. So The Moth is an excellent podcast. In addition to other ones like Risk, Risk are kind of like the stories that you never dare to share. Um, so I think that listening to stories like from the moth risk, and then of course, there's always the other side of that coin. So I think people listen to the moth and and risk and storytelling podcasts for the story worth sharing. The other side of that coin would be Ted, which are the ideas worth spreading, right? So the TED podcast and even the TED YouTube channel is great in terms of like, if you're looking for specific information or tips around mental health or tips around the uh, around story or whatever that might be, TED goes a little bit deeper from the story into the idea. So I think that that's another great resource. And then there are some great, I feel like I've read quite a few books as well that have readily been pivotal. One of them is by Matthew Dix. And the book is called Story Worthy. Hmm. He is a, a great, a, a, an amazing storyteller. I think he's won the moth like 40 times, meaning he, you go to a slam, you throw your name in a hat. Mm-hmm. You're judged because we, we're always into judging people, regardless of if stories or not. But <laughs> you're judged. And then the winner of the night is the, the champion. They go on to a grand slam. But anyways, in any case, Matthew has won the Moth Grand Slams like around 40 times. And so he really, really knows his work and has this book out called Story Worthy, which I think is just awesome. So yeah, those are just like some of the the things in terms of books, podcasts, and YouTube stuff that I think that people should just check out in terms of great resources. As it relates to my own work, 
I always have different courses that are optional for people to join, optional free, optional paid. But one of them that I'm doing right now is called Ideas That Ignite. And it's a course for those who have really been stepping into like their voice and interested in landing a TED or TEDx talk in this upcoming year. So I've been able to see the power of my own story and sharing my power, sharing my own story. So I want to be able to like provide that outlet for other people to share their story in a way that creates like ripple effects in, in, in the world Mm -hmm. and allows people like really step into like their own amazing steps, step into their platform, their voice and to build like a really amazing following or tribe or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. I just don't know of many other platforms that are industry agnostic that really can amplify your platform more than TED. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the courses that I have now, or that's actually coming up in October called Ideas That Ignite. But during the course of the year, I have different courses. Another one's called Story to to Speech to Sale, Mm -hmm. which shows people how to actually take a story, turn it into a speech, and then be able to use your speech to be on a speaking circuit and get paid thousands of dollars for your talk or even how to leverage that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what you're doing now. So yeah, so I I basically have different programs that are all focused on first finding that story and then understanding what you can do now that you actually have claimed your story. Um, Another one, for example, is also storytelling for public health and, uh, and for mental health. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people just want to be able to step out of their, their own skin and just connect with their partners or in relationships. And so mm-hmm. sometimes people just need to help just like just sharing a, a basic story. So during the course of the year, I offer different programs that all kind of start off with sharing a story and understanding how to apply it and apply it to business, apply it to your personal life, et cetera, et cetera. Love that. Thank you. And I'm going to include in the show notes all that information. There'll be plenty of links to your course and, and other things you mentioned. One that has really helped me understand and actually appreciate the idea of story, the structure of story. Have you seen any of Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art and the mm. Hero's Journey? Yes. I need, to, I need to go back over The War of Art because I know that it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, so that one, and what was the other one that you just mentioned? The Hero's Journey. Oh, right, of course. Yes, so the Hero's Journey is actually something that I teach as one of the models that people, like every person should see and understand the Hero's Journey mm-hmm. in terms of just how stories are set up and why they work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From a place of, of feeling like you're know, <clears throat> excuse me, feeling like you're knowing into almost, unawareness, a challenge, an abyss until you, you find like somebody who is almost like your guru, your GPS, something that, that's going to help guide your way back out of, out of the journey, back into this enlightened, enlightenment. And for anyone who's listening, the example that Stephen Pressfield uses in The Hero's Journey is 
Star Wars. So if you hit rewind and listen to what Don just said, she explains Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so many other films by Disney, by certainly Matt, just like all all of them. They all kind of have a similar. It's neat to learn the structure and then go back and see old movies, read old books, and just see the blueprint. It doesn't make you appreciate it any less. If anything, you can really, you can not just be a consumer, you can kind of be the observer and and see what's actually going on. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Well, this is your moment, Don. Anything you would like to leave in closing? Anything you feel you want to say? Wow. Well, I mean, this has been like an an awesome, awesome, awesome interview. I just think that it's really important for us to continue to know the importance of sharing our stories because it's not only something that's part of of who we are in terms of our own chemicals or in terms of our own hormones of who we are, but once we know how to leverage our stories, how to actually use it to make us better people, then it becomes an even more of an amazing tool that doesn't require you to go invest in like a whole bunch of equipment. It doesn't require us to, to, to do a lot. It just requires our time and our attention to them, to our stories, to our journeys. So I think that it's more important than I think that people realize but in the process of healing, in the process of becoming better versions of ourselves, I think it's important to lean into our stories, our past stories, our present stories, the stories of who, who it is that we want to become, and to realize that we can shape all of it. We can shape all of it. We can change our perspectives on how we've seen past moments. We can change the way that we're stepping into the present, and we can definitely modify when we see things that are not looking like what we expected for the future, but still feeling okay with it because it is part of our, it's part of our growth as things change. That feels like the definition of empowerment. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. I love that. Well, thank you for being here. I got so much love for you. Same. Thank you. I feel like I say this every time, but definitely one of my favorites. I hope this got your wheels turning about story, the stories you've been telling yourself, the stories that other people have been telling you. Maybe it'll make you a little more critical, a little more curious about who's telling you and what they're actually telling you, whether you're watching a movie or reading a book. I really encourage you to dive in, consider the timeline project. It's a doozy. So with that, I will leave you here. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.